teaching Sunday school at 13. Wow. Um, and so I always knew that church somehow would be a part of my life. So um, figured out, <clears throat> excuse me, through trial and error, of course, um, how I could bring the two together. Mm. Um, and so um, I like to read and hang out. <laughs> I am a wine connoisseur. Um, I find the older I get, the more I appreciate quality time with good girlfriends and good people that are doing positive things in the world. Uh, but I love to dance and, you know, about me and about who I am. Definitely. So on your, on your, in your bio, uh, something that I love that you have and part of these, um, identities, um, that I, I mean, I'm perceiving and that I'm reading up um, on is that you say that you live life boldly at the intersection of being God-loving, a justice worker who is black, bisexual woman, and ordained Baptist minister. R Reverend L. Yes. Reverend L. <laughs> it's, a lot of, it's a lot of stuff going on here. Like, I understood the black. I understood the God-loving. I got the black. I got the I got the ordained, but then you said ordained Baptist minister and bisexual. Like I'm just whoa, whoa. I, I, I don't know what's I don't I, know what's happening I, anymore. I, I like you out here just being brand new. You yeah, I don't know how to wrap my mind. <laughs> Child, I'm just trying to live my life. In the words of Jill Scott, I'm trying to live my life like a golden. I mean, you know. Or or Cardi B, you know, Come out there now. somewhere. I make money moves. Okay. I'm just trying to make money moves. I don't know. Listen. <laughs> You're like, I ain't got to answer. How do you how do you bring all of those and reconcile all of those those identities into one? Because they seem very not, and I guess in our traditional lens of like church and faith and all of that, like that, those just seem so not together and so how how are you reconciling all of these things and being comfortable in it but also showing up for others who may identify as all of these things but are like mm -mm, church ain't for me yeah wow so that's a great question um it's hard sometimes to um, what's the word, like explicate out how you live, because all I do is just live, right? Yeah. I'm just living my life. But I think one of the things that mm, one of the things that is consistent for me has been a strong devotional life. Now, I don't say that to mean I read my Bible every morning, because I don't, <laughs> and I don't listen to gospel music every day, because I don't. Um, but it does mean that I spend intentional quiet time cultivating my internal like my internal being so my grounding what who I am what I believe who how I sense my call mm -hmm. right in the world um and so that's one way I do it uh the other way I do it is I find um people uh, that can hold my truth be in community with me um who love me fully as I am. Yeah. Um, and in their loving of me, they can, uh, they have the space to call me out. They also have the space to call me in, right? So mm -hmm. there's a, a space where, you, you know, to be called out is to say, uh, you know you're supposed to, you know this is what you're supposed to be doing, right? So stop playing and do it. Yeah. And do that lovingly and, um, and support, and in a supportive way. Um, and then 
those same people or many of the same people can call me can call me in by saying, All right, you're doing too much. Right. You're not operating in the space that we know, you know, like who is this showing up? Like this is not the list that we know. This is not you know, so let's let's talk about that. Um and that has been a significant part of um of my journey, I think of my development and being able to have people um, um, that have been a part of me. And then I, I, I read a lot and, um, I'm always inspired by other people, men, women, individuals, uh, persons, uh, who show up in the world as their full authentic selves. And so, um, you just are getting the, um, we'll say the semi-finished version, you know, like if you were to talk to me, Jesus, maybe five years ago, mm-hmm. definitely five years ago. Yeah. Probably six or seven years ago, it wouldn't I would not be as um you know, as bold um in that because it took for me a lot of wrestling and arguing with God mm. and all this kind of stuff because I'm like, I don't I don't I don't know if I need to be telling people <laughs> all of those things, but <laughs> Um, I believe, I believe that representation matters Yeah, and, um, there are individuals who, um, are at many of those intersections who, um, at least can say, well, that's possible because she's doing it. Now, I don't know if I'm doing it the greatest, I'm doing it the best of my abilities right. or as I like to say, I'm doing my level best, Yeah, but um but at least people can see that this is what's possible uh, and they may decide to tweak it or make it better or whatever right. but i can only show up in my own truth so there came a point when i was like listen this is who i am right <laughs> uh clearly this has been um what i believe um the divine god spirit universe has called me to be and the moments that i have boldly stood at those intersections have always been positive and um and sacred we'll say i'll use that word sacred in ways that i in in my own self i i feel and i think yeah um but it is it has been um it has been through the testimonies of others so i'm real churchy i'm learning lately i'm real churchy uh so the word says you know we overcome um by the blood of the lamb and the words of their testimony right so the idea of people coming to me and saying you know what, when I saw you talk, I felt this way. Or mm. when I heard you, I knew that I could be, you know, yeah. so people come and say, you inspired me or you encouraged me or you reminded me or you whatever. Right. And they've shared their testimonies with me. And that has been um, some external, you know, affirmation, motivation. Um, but really and truly, um, it has it's a grounding that I – that I have to have in God and in spirit, uh, because we can't, I can't be concerned with the ways that people uh, place labels on you or place expectations or are just stank or they hate us or whatever. Right. And know that I, I stand grounded in what I believe my call is. Right. Uh, wow. Yes. Yeah, I mean, I think for me, when I was reading up about you, I mean, for me, of course, it's probably no big deal for you. Like you were saying, you're like, I am who I am. I'm living my life. (laughs) I'm living my life like it's golden. But when I see like a bisexual woman being an ordained Baptist minister, me coming from a Catholic background, I'm like, wait, 
woman number one nothing because we we ain't got that over mm-hmm. here we we ain't got <laughs> we don't have that That's and right. then then it's like wait anything other than anything other than being heterosexual is like yeah. what so when I saw it, I was like, right. I gotta, I gotta, I gotta read this again. You talking all this womanist yeah. stuff? You got the womanist, you got bisexual, you got justice hey. worker, and then you also have this phrase um, that I see: God positive sexuality. What does that mean to you? Wow. So, so it's this. It came out of um, doing a workshop, right? It came out of developing a workshop for. Um, a conference, it's the first Sex Down South conference. And so it really means what does it, um, what does our sexuality look like when we understand God in holistic, affirming ways, when we see and view our sexuality through the gift that God created it to be, mm. right? Like I... I often say, like, listen, this who, who, whoever the creator is, we say thank you as a woman because it was it it was the creator who decided to give me a clitoris, okay, uh, whose sole purpose is for pleasure, okay. So whoever that God is, I'm saying hallelujah. We say thank you. We give you glory and honor. So because in that moment, right, to begin to bring God into who I am as a sexual being, as a sexual person, then it really does um, reduce the stigma around our behavior and our activity, Mm. which really is what the church and I think mainstream society or the civil religion that, that is the um, that that meta narrative in our society that says that that sexuality is about our genitals and what we do with them. Gotcha. Versus it being about who we are um, as created in the image of God. So, what does it mean to have a God positive sexuality? What are the messages that we have received, um, and being able to turn those messages on their head? Because just as much as people want to quote the Bible um, around, you know, fornication, and you're not supposed to have sex before marriage, mm-hmm. and women are supposed to submit to their husbands, and all of those types of things, nobody wants to really look at the sexuality of Song of Solomon. Nobody want to really look. Nobody wants to really look at and kind of dig into, or or at least um, wrestle with. Um, the idea of loving someone um, so much as 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 Jesus would command, right? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your mm-hmm. mind, your soul, and your strength, and right. love your neighbor as yourself. Mm-hmm. And so what does it mean to truly love my neighbor enough to be concerned about their health, about their pleasure, about their well-being, and all of that? And so God-positive sexuality is this concept of saying, yes, we can um, understand the gift of sex and sexuality that comes from God. Yes, we can take those negative messages that we've received and turn them on their heads, right? Um, Most of us are not following them anyway. Um, (laughs) And so as a... (laughs) Come on now. As As a womanist theological ethicist, grounded in black women's experience Mm. and I know just from me being a black woman I was on what I have coined the conviction carousel right so the conviction carousel 
um, every black person, every white, every person that listens to your podcast will, will relate to this. The conviction carousel is that process that happens in church where we are taught that we're supposed to wait until marriage. And then we meet somebody and we have some sexual activity and then we come to church and we pray and we come, at least in some traditional black Baptist church context, Mm -hmm. you come to the altar and you lift your hands up and you repent and you say, Lord, forgive me. I won't have sex no more. Just, you know, hold that. Just, you know, just give me, just give me the, you know, give me what I need. Give me the will to hold out, Lord. I want to do your will. That Sunday, by Wednesday, Tuesday on a bad week, but by Wednesday, um, we are back, right? Back right. in the same place, back making the same decisions, uh, back engaging in the same behaviors that cause us to then feel guilty, feel, you know, feel those things that come up when uh, we wrestle with the messages that we've adopted. And then we end up back in church on Sunday. Because if you're trying to be a good Christian or a good believer, then you're in church. And then the preacher says something, whether it was directly, you know, about sex or not. And then we feel guilty and then we back up at the altar again. Right. And so we put ourselves on this conviction carousel in a way that is unhealthy. Um, instead of just saying, this is what I believe, at least today. This is what I believe, and I'm going to live according to that belief system. Gotcha. And so, God positive sexuality is this is that concept to say you you can construct uh, your sense of self, your sense of God, uh, your sense of what it means to be a positive sexual person and being <clears throat> excuse me based on your lived experience in conversation with the messages that come from the Bible, the messages that come from our families, the messages that comes from. Um, society. Ooh, that, I mean, <laughs> so you say, I mean, I've never, I've never heard of that term before, honestly. And I think it's like you were saying, we try to separate the two. And I think for, mm-hmm. I think for so long, it's, it's like we, you have to separate the two, like sexuality and sex is just something quote, of this world, and it's bad, depending on in what context. Is it in marriage? And okay, it's cool. But then if it's mm-hmm. outside of that, that very narrow context or what have you, it's, it's, not, it's, not, it's not seen as good. It's not seen as a gift from God. It's not seen as positive. And you, you really took me there because I know on your, you see, I've been doing all my, investiga- my investigations, my investigations. You got on your Instagram... <laughs> You talk you're talking about you're talking about the self pleasure. You're talking about the master debating on on your Instagram. This is why I can't I don't know I don't know how I'm talking to you and I'm sitting up straight right now. Like you just you're blowing you're blowing my mind. I don't know what I don't know what I don't know what to expect anymore. You you're talking about you one of the things you have on your Instagram is Christianity has no issue with masturbation. Because it has a negative view of pleasure. Do you know how long I've been looking for that message? It's been a long time. It's been a long time. It's been a long time. I'm so glad I can free you up. I'm so glad I can help you out with that. I'm glad. I'm glad. That means I'm doing a part of what God has called me to do. It really does. And when you, you have another one on here that's like, the Bible makes no direct and explicit mention of masturbation. I mean, where were you? Where were you when all of us were asking questions? Because we had a, I had a show on, um, 
masturbation like uh like last year and I talked about how there was just so much shame and especially I, I feel like that shame carries over to the sexual scripts that we carry with us right so I feel that if you are like like you said tied up in thinking this thing or the other you're not going to experience that pleasure or you're not going to allow yourself to experience that pleasure or if you do you're just going to be guilt-ridden, and what's the point of doing something if you're just going to be guilty all the time, right? And right. with my identity, with I knew for me, literally everything was off limits. It was everything was off limits. It was like you, you touch yourself, it's wrong. If you touch somebody else, it's wrong. If you think about touching yourself or somebody else, it's wrong. And so, all of this guilt and shame. Which I think for me, I'm still, I'm, I think I'm still doing a lot of unpacking. I think with a lot of things and a lot of different topics, I think that's one of the things that I'm unpacking. Um, and it, I think it was, it was just so pervasive in school because I also went to Catholic school. So it wasn't just like church. It was also like what you're learning at the interpretation of your religion teacher. And... <laughs> If your religion teacher is saying, like, this is wrong and this is a person that's supposed to be, quote, helping guide you or giving you some inter in interpreting what you're reading or interpreting the feelings that you have, then I, can, I, I didn't have that God-positive sexuality at all. Like, everything related to sex, even when I got home, was like, well, you shouldn't even be thinking about that or you shouldn't even be, like, what are you thinking? What are you thinking? And for me, it's it's funny because I, like, sophomore year of high school, I knew I was going to become a nun. I knew it. Like, that was, they showed that Mother Teresa video in the class, and I was like, that, see, that's what I'm going to do. <laughs> that's what I'm going to do. Like, I was like, I was like, you get meals, you got a house, okay, you get to be quiet, oh, okay, you get, you get an outfit you wear every day, all right, all right, I think that's what I'm about to do. And so to go from that to being the person later on in my religion classes being like, okay, wait, let me get this right. You don't want me to experience pleasure at all unless it's for procreating. And that, I couldn't, I, I couldn't wrap my mind around that. At that point, that's when I was like, you know what? I need to be out here educating some people because this, this, is, this is nuts. This is nuts. Like, what's happening here? So it just feels yeah. so different and it... Even tonight, as I'm looking at your Instagram, I'm just, I'm still blown away because it's like, that's where I'm talking to you about all of the identities, like you're reconciling sexual orientation, which is not talked about, masturbation, like, I'm done, girl, I'm, I'm out, I'm dead, I'm dead, I'm dead. How did you get, like, how did you get to this point where you were like, this is what I'm doing. This, I'm going to do the sex, the faith, the God, the LGBTQ thing, the masturbation thing, and try and roll it up into one. Wow. And be okay. And be okay with it. Sorry, that's the other part. And being, and be okay. and being yeah. confident and okay yeah. with it. Because like you're saying, we may be feeling like, I'll have no problems with this on my own, but then you feel like that judge that judgmental mm -hmm. um keeping tab on you god is sitting there being like oh all right you want to put your hand in your pants today mm -mm, not today yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. you go straight to hell <laughs> right 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 
So there's two stories that shape my sexuality work. Mm-hmm. One is um, I was, so when I was growing up in D.C., I I should say growing up, when I was being an adult. Yes. Uh, I got a job <laughs> in D.C., um, I, excuse me, worked at a law firm because that's how I was able to, um, you know, support a lifestyle mm-hmm. to which I wanted to become accustomed. And I was on my way to work one morning and, um, the Russ Power Morning Show Uh-oh. did a, they did a show on the alarming statistics of HIV infection in black women ages 18 to 24. Mm. And when I realized that young people that I know, young people that I um, I considered to be like, you know, a part of either I would say auntie or they play mama or they got mama or whatever, I don't have any kids and I'm okay with that. I don't want any kids. So they were, they adopted me many, most often time. Um, and so um, realized in that moment that um, there are hundreds of thousands, if not millions of black girls, particularly black women that could not um, be exposed to HIV if it simply was for sexual education. Mm. Like this is not, like HIV is not a it's a, it's a, a purely it's a completely preventable disease completely preventable and mm-hmm. the only thing that keeps us from preventing it right reducing the rates reducing the stigma is that it's about sex sexually transmitted yeah. so that's the first conscientization moment the second conscientization moment and story for me is that I was a youth minister and as I was doing that um, this young lady again was like a daughter to me and uh, there came a point in her journey where she um, came out to me as a lesbian. Mm-hmm. Now, in that moment, now I was a youth minister, Vanessa, in a conservative, fundamental, literal interpretation of the Bible, non-denominational black church. Okay. Yeah. So that meant that they believed and preached that number one, women could not be pastors, Ooh. even though women could be ministers. Mm. So, so even though I was licensed in this church, right? Right. Licensed in this church as a minister, I could still only go so far because God didn't call me to be a pastor. Right. And then God definitely, you know, is sending all the homosexuals uh, to hell. Yeah. So here I was in this church context, you know, loving those people. They're amazing folks. However, coming to this crisis of faith where it was like, I, I, you want me, and I got to send her. I literally remember saying to God, like, are you serious? Like, I need to send her to hell? Like, I don't know if I can do that. Like, right. I don't, I'm not sure if I can send her to hell. So mm-hmm. that sent me on my own kind of crisis of faith. And um, and so as I started reading and, and um, you know, doing my own journey, right, figuring this stuff out and all this kind of stuff, I then, the third, you know, every good black Baptist got three points. So my third story <laughs> is that then I came into my woman-loving self yeah. at 30. Wow. Right? And 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 realizing, like, oh, maybe maybe this is not that. <laughs> Wait a minute. This is not that. This is not Bad, you know, right. and um, and so I um, I wrestled with that. Was I going to hell now that I loved a woman and felt that you know the relationship that we had was mutual and affirming and loving and uh, and I wrestled with that significantly. Mm. And so I've had some life experiences um that have brought me to this place that is just says like I don't 
I don't know how not to be because I know what my life has taught me. Right. Right. You know, I mean, it's, it's, it's just some things that you just, you know, um, and while I used to be a uh, much more fervent um, debater with people around LGBTQ issues, mm -hmm. I now, I now am just like, okay, listen, you don't have to, whether you believe in homosexuality or not, God, I know God loves me. God's still calling me. God is calling hundreds of thousands of folks every single day. Um, who are from all walks of life. So, yeah, miss me with that. But I'm going to sit and have a conversation if we need to. Um, and so I think for me it has been, it's been those moments, the ebbs and flows, those uh, what I call conscientization moments that, you know, that raised my consciousness and pushed me into a crisis that caused me to say, you need to dig deeper. Mm. And the digging deeper was not just scholarly, but it was scholarly. And I remember, um, I remember, um, I don't want to say befriending because that's the, that seems pejorative, but I remember being accepted into community of same gender loving women, black women, mm -hmm. um, who were in church, right. And being able to get to know them, right. So hang out with them, do, do stuff that girlfriends do, right? And all of those myths are dispelled. They weren't looking at me no bit more than I was looking at them, you know, sexually, right? The 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 myths that somehow their lives are much, any different than um, a, a straight woman in engaging in relationships. Like, it's, there was no difference, right? And and so as I, you know, got to know them and, and I realized that it is our stories right. that that matter, right? It is our stories that, that is really going to, um, I think, change anybody's hearts or minds um, to something, you know, to a different understanding. And so I think because of the way I've been shaped over the past, I'm 42, so definitely over the past 12 years since I came into my own woman-loving self, mm -hmm. you know, it was, um, it has been, it has been helpful. And then when I went to seminary and and decided that I would academically focus my scholarship on sexuality in the black church and began to just, just unearth and just, I still feel like I don't know enough, but I probably know more than I need to. Mm. But it's, it just is, it, it feeds the scholarship and the theoretical stuff that people are writing about and, and doing amazing work about is the stuff that I was wrestling with right? In my lived experience. And so it was like, oh, this stuff matches, but I don't know what happens between the time that pastors matriculate, the ones that do go to seminary, pastors that matriculate through theological education, and then they come back to the pulpit and they don't bring any of that kind of knowledge or resources to, you know, to their congregation. And so I feel like sometimes it feels hard for me to succinctly share how I, you know, how I got to bringing all of those identities together. Right. Because it's been moments, right? It's been moments. Um, and I cannot, I can tell you it was 2011, no, fall of 2010. I I had moved from, um, so July 2010, I moved from D.C. to Richmond to go to seminary. Mm. Not just go to seminary, child. I was the resident assistant in the <laughs> seminary dorm. I moved in July. I met a woman in September, mm -hmm. and we started dating. And I was faced with that, again, another crisis. How do I, what am I, what is, 
do I tell people? Do I not tell people? Do right. I lie? Can I lie? Uh, you know, all of those things. Well, you may not know, but the many of the things <laughs> persons who are same gender loving right. um, wrestle with, how do you, you know, how do you navigate it? Um, and so I had to make a choice to say, listen, you know, I, I talked to my partner, my, my ex now, but mm-hmm. my then partner, and, <laughs> was, you know, and just told her, like, this is, you're my first kind of out relationship. So I'm learning how to do this. And, and I just said, and I'm asking you, you know, to, to give me some grace and, and but for us to also talk through this, right? right? Because I'm not, you know, I've never, I've never done this and I don't want to put anybody else through, you know, any unnecessary um, uh, turmoil or issues or what have you. Right. Um, and honestly, for the most part, you know, my seminary classmates were very accepting. Um, I have to say that some of this also, I think some of the acceptance um, is attributed to my personality. Mm. Um, and, and the way that I show up in the world, regardless of my orientation, um, that I'm pretty, I'm pretty direct. I'm very smart. (laughs) So in the classroom, you know, in the classroom, if we're debating theological concepts or theory or what have you, there's, you just have a certain level of respect that's there. Right. Um, and so I think that all of those kind of were individual factors that, that came into my acceptance or my being able to feel accepted. But there have been moments, and there, even today, there are still uh, places that I will never be invited to preach or speak mm. or present. There are folks that I won't ever roll with and, and you know, be close or hang out with. Uh, there are people who may not ever publicly um, say that they're my friend or that they're associated or connected to me in any mm. way. Mm. Um, and that's just part of the, you know, that's, that's the scripture says the poor we will have with us always. Like, and and not just the physical poor, like in that literal sense, but just like ideologically poor folks, like mentality poor, like the, the idea that you just, you can't, everybody can't roll with you and that's okay. You know, because they're still going to exist in the world. I'm still going to exist in the world. And God is going to do what God needs to do for all of us. So it's, it's going to be fine um, in the end. So you, you just trying to tell me you're going to drop the mic right here? You just done talking to me? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I don't know what to say, but I'm just trying to answer your questions to the, to, to the best of my ability it in was, the most succinct way. It was beautiful. So that your people are not, uh, so your people are not, who did she get on this podcast? So, um, I'm still sitting here just awestruck still. Like, I'm going to be done with this once we're done, and I'm just still going to be like, I got to I gotta sit. I gotta sit here and process, cause you 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 use some new vocab words on me, so I gotta I gotta put it all together. <laughs> I guess my last question for you is, how do you think um, we can help folks? Period, including myself, um, everybody, connect their sexual attitudes, behaviors, and thoughts about and reconcile that with what they believe about God? I think the the succinct answer is we need to define our sexual ethic. People need to define or redefine their own sexual ethic, right? So um, I'm going to the conferences, the Let's Talk About Sex conference this week, and Mm -hmm. my workshop is I Love God and Sex Too, redefining our sexual 
um, and thoughts with who I know and I believe God to be. Yeah. Wow. I don't, I don't want to talk to you no more. I'm done with you. I'm done with you. <laughs> See? No, that was beautiful. Thank you. Thank you. No, I, honestly, thank you for sharing that. I mean, one of my best friends always says, you got you to gotta check in with spirit. And her whole thing mm-hmm. is, if you're doing something that's just not aligned, no matter what the, quote, rules are, if you're not checking in with spirit, then it's not, it's not for you. And so some things might work for pe- for some people and other things may not work for some. But if you're doing things in alignment with your spirit is how I perceive always what she's saying. You know, you're doing it right. That's, that's it. Yeah. And nobody can tell you that it's wrong. Absolutely. Absolutely. So while I posted about you, I got a question um, that, okay. that uh, she wanted to ask. Are you ready for a question? Sure. Um, so Mahogany Joy says millennials are calling hypocrisy to the church and actually not attending these days. How do you view this issue? Oh, Mahogany. Um, <laughs> listen, I have, um, so I am a pastor and I view the issue very gingerly. I think that's the word I want to mm-hmm. use. So here's the deal. Um, I am not a millennial, number one. Mm-hmm. So let me just say that. Mm-hmm. Number two, I actively engage in ageism, and I have learned to just call it as what it is. Okay, that's number two. Gotcha. Number three, what I realize about millennials that I love and I respect is that they they don't they don't they're not here for all of the all of the trappings of church, right? Mm-hmm. And so um, um, I respect the fact that, they're, that they are not um, interested in the things that may have kept their parents or their grandparents um, and, and such, right? Uh, however, what I have been challenged with the millennials in my um, small congregation is to say, how do you, how do you not throw the baby out with the bathwater, mm-hmm. right? So... I believe tradition is necessary. Um, listen, our ancestors, um, our mamas, our grandmamas, our great-grandmamas, you know, this tradition that we had, like none of us arrived just poof out of the air. We come from a lineage of people that have been surviving in an anti-black climate for hundreds of years, yeah. okay? So the black church is an institution that came out of that resistance. So mm-hmm. I believe millennials have something to share about that. And I believe, um, and I am practicing, um, even in my pastoral work and my pastoral theological perspective is to say, how do we then figure this out together? How do we take and, and, and hold on to the part of the tradition that, um, is, is, is grounding to us and, and it is still shaping to us and then put that in conversation with and actually experiment with what some of the more millennial-esque type of things are. So, mm-hmm. for example, my church, you know, our motto is dare to do church differently. And we, we are about mission and not members, right? So we work in the community we host vigils. We just did a panel on sex positivity and spirituality. We partner with nonprofit organizations that are doing good work in Richmond, Virginia. Mm. We then uh, we started hosting. We just started actually in September 
hosting a monthly dance, tea dance, which has history in the LGBTQ uh, movement. But it basically is a Sunday afternoon of like a DJ playing some good music and food because food is important. And come and just have a good time and it not be about preaching and it not be about somebody speaking to you, you know, for two hours. And so I believe millennials in the church, it has to be a conversation. Mm-hmm. And that millennials got, I do believe, and I tell this to, to my people as well, the millennials got to slow down a little bit too. Like there's got to be a give and take. Mm-hmm. It can't be all one-sided. Like it can't be all of, you know, what the elders are saying and it can't be all of what millennials are saying. But I do think that um, that finding a balance between tradition and not throwing the baby out with the bathwater is the first step. Because some of us, you know, what I am learning is that there are a lot of millennials that also don't believe in God in the same way that their parents may have told them, mm-hmm. right? Or in the same way that their grandparents may have told them. Yeah. Uh, but nobody's given them space to explore that. So even in my church, we do um, Bible study twice a month where we sit. Yesterday, we did a Bible study, and we were talking about salvation, personal and communal salvation. And we did this conversation in tangent with Audre Lorde's A Litany for Survival. Mm -hmm. And so it's this interesting way in which you um, engage poetry, engage um, um, Black women's writing, engage um, what's happening in the world, and then connect it to theological principles, biblical principles, and begin to talk. What is God calling us to do? What is the invitation, the divine invitation in the world that we need to be responding to that relates to what our interests are and where our heart feels and all of those types of things? Instead of doing church as a pray, pray, read the Bible, go to church, those are the things that will make sure you're good in heaven. And that's not... That's not living, right. you know, that's just following rules and checking boxes. Mm. So I hope I answered her question. No. Or their question. If, if they are dissatisfied with this answer, go ahead and hit Reverend Ella so that's she right. knows. <laughs> and to continue, continue having the conversation, definitely. So we are at the end of our time. I appreciated you being here with us. You were awesome. I'm glad that I could be here. Thank you. I'm so glad that I could talk about I'm always excited to talk about sex and faith and about wholeness. Yes. And about black women yes. particularly. Yes. So where can where can we find you? Do you have any upcoming events? How can we support your work? So um, on Facebook, Will You Behold Ministries, and then my website is willyoubehold.com, and I'm on Twitter as my name, Lisette Cross, L-A-C-E-T-T-E-C-R-O-S-S, and I'm on Instagram as well with that name, um, at Lisette Cross, and um, if folks are on Facebook, I have just started a Wrestle With It Wednesday um, on 9.30. I know that might be early for some folks, but yeah. 30 on Wednesdays where I'm going to just be on Facebook Live talking about topics related to sex and faith. Right. Lastly, how do you build your vagistine? So vagistine was a concept that I came up with um, in 2014. And basically, I coined it as a term that means it's the concept by which one builds the confidence of and in their vulva and vagina. And I believe that 
This confidence leads to a healthy and satisfying sex life. So how do you build yours? I make sure that everything is healthy. Yes. So make sure she is taken care of internally and externally. Um, and then I is make sure that she enjoys pleasure, whether it's pleasure with myself. Okay. Um, or pleasure with somebody, <laughs> somebody else. Um, because um, those two things. And then I make sure that I look at my vagina and my vulva periodically. Like I try to do it at least once a month because sometimes... It, it, we just get so disconnected from from her that really, to me, um, is a way that I remind myself that it's not just the body part. It is a part of who I am. But the confidence piece, I, I think, just comes from embracing my... Uh, I'm a really femme kind of woman, mm-hmm. so I'm, I'm, I'm not uber, uber girly, but I'm girly enough, and I like to wear heels, and I like to be sexy and I like flirting mm-hmm. with men and women. Um so Yes. That's how I build that confidence. So it starts physically and, you know, honoring that space physically and spiritually and um and pleasure. Pleasure being such a major thing. Um and then that just kind of naturally flows out into the world in the way that I show up and in the way that I may move my body or you know, do mm-hmm. do what I do, I guess. And yes. trying to be coy and cute in the process. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Reverend L, thank you so much for being on with us tonight. Thank you for sharing all of your insights. I had a great time talking with you. Oh, my gosh. Thank you. You're so beautiful. I'm excited. I'm excited and I'm grateful for this opportunity. Yay! Um, Hey, y'all. I hope you enjoyed that episode with Reverend L. Remember to follow Vagisim on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Hashtag this conversation. Hashtag the podcast and your conversations at Vagisim. Remember to rate and listen to the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Leave us a comment. I want to know what you think. Also, you can listen to it on SoundCloud, Google Music, and Stitcher, and I saw some other recommendations for other platforms. I got you. It's coming up. Also, send me your questions related to sex, love, and everything in between at vagisteam at gmail.com. Also, Vagisteam is continuing its college tour into the new year, so if you work at a college, if you attend the college and you love Vagisteam, bring me to your campus. You can get that information by emailing me at vagisteam at gmail.com. Or you can download the speaker packet at vagisteam.com. I hope you all have a great week and I'll talk to you soon. Bye. Okay, ladies, now let's get information. I slay. Okay, ladies, now let's get information. You know you that bitch when you call out this conversation. Always stay gracious, best revenge is your paper. Okay, ladies,